Good morning, great to be with you. Have you ever expected something and been disappointed or wounded by what you've received? Or have you ever asked for something and what you've received has exceeded your expectations? Last year, um, I sprained and fractured my ankle. Hmm, sad story. Unfortunately, today I'm not going to share a story of miraculous healing, like we'll hear the story of Naaman, but, but I want to share this with you. It was a lovely family picnic. My kids were with me, my niece was with me and her three kids. Were, it was a beautiful winter's day. It was sunny, it was gorgeous. We were going to have a sausage sizzle. Um, we were enjoying ourselves, green grass, beautiful. And we were playing Finska. For those that don't know what Finska is, it's when you throw a block of wood and it hits these other blocks of wood and you count by number. Some of them have numbers on them. Anyway, the idea is to get to 50 and the team that gets there first without busting wins. So Sam, my son and his wife, Emily, were, they were out in the lead. They were blitzing us. Um, we thought that we didn't have a hope. But then they busted and had to go back to 25. So then it's neck and neck. Jacob, my other son and I, were, were alongside them. The others a bit behind. We're thinking we could catch them. Anyway, it got to this moment where Jacob had to throw and get a two for us to win. Any more, we're gone. Anyway, up goes that block of wood, hits the thing, and he gets a two. I am elated. I am so excited. I put my hands in the air. I do a little victory dance around. My heart is full of pride. And what happens? I don't see that little hole in the ground. And the next thing I know, I am over, I hear a terrible noise, I am in a lot of pain. And I had rolled my ankle and later discovered that I had fractured it. Fractured it. So the moral to the story, pride comes before the fall. Well, it was true on this day. But I tell you this story for a little amusement, really. Well, my husband Brad's quite amused by it. <laughs> but in truth, there are many occasions when my pride has caused me to miss out on something lovely, on something beautiful, on something God has for me. We're, we're going to look at the real story now in 2 Kings 5, the story of Naaman. Verse 1 begins, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory, victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So this story begins with Naaman, the lead character. We learn that Naaman is a valiant soldier, a great man. The Hebrew refers to him as Godol, mighty. He is the commander of the king, uh, the army of Syria, or Aram, as it's said in this translation. He is someone who carries a lot of weight, not physically, but he carries a lot of weight. He has a lot of authority, has a lot of influence. But he has leprosy. That's a huge but. Leprosy was the most feared disease in the world. It began with a white patch of skin, like a rash, and then it spread all over your body. It would leave wounds and, you know, gaping wounds with, with flesh and your hair would fall out. And um, 
over time it had caused nerve damage and then you couldn't feel things and gradually your extremities would fall off. It, yeah, it was a, a terrible disease and there was no cure. There was a 100% death rate and they believed it was highly contagious. Not good for Naaman. Verse 2 continues, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. This young girl is amazing. She is from Israel, taken captive and forced to be an, a servant to the enemy. If this is a TV show, she'd be plotting revenge, but not her. She chooses to forgive. She chooses to love and she chooses to show mercy. And in addition to this, her faith is strong. She believes that God can heal Naaman. She expects God will heal him. Verse 4. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read... With this letter, I am sending Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Bit of a big ask. Now, the scholars say that this was an enormous sum of money. That's about like 350 kilograms of silver and 68 kilograms of gold. Look, I haven't done an up-to-date calculation, but I don't think anybody's going to be offering me that amount of money. In addition to the gold and silver, there are clothes. That may seem a little odd to us. Why clothes? But these were beautifully handmade clothes. They were like designer clothes, I suppose. They were like the finest clothes you'd wear to a party. And it was probably clothes that you'd buy from a boutique rather than <laughs> something that I might get from Kmart. Once again, I don't think that's going to happen to me in my lifetime. No one dropping those things at my door. Verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? What does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? This is an interesting response. Have you ever assumed the worst because of your lack of trust or unbelief? Naaman brought gifts of diplomacy. The king saw deception and rejection. I've done a little bit of investigation on this and the king of this story was probably King Yoram. He could have been a representative of God, but he didn't see himself that way because of his past. In Kings 3, it says that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And even though he was better than his parents before him, he was still evil. He didn't follow God and his ways, 
and he led his people into sin. And because of this, Elisha had previously had words with him um, in verses um, 13 and 14, um, he said, why are you coming to me? Elisha asked the king of Israel, go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. And then later in verse 30 and 31, he says, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Israel was wounded and rejected and he defaulted to fear. However, in this instance, Elisha has a totally different response. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Well, Naaman went to him. Elisha perceived a bigger purpose in Naaman's leprosy. He knew God had allowed him to suffer with leprosy so that Naaman might come to know God. He knew that God's plan was for Naaman to know God. We often don't know God's bigger plan. We just need to trust and do our bit. So verse 9 goes on. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Sounds pretty simple. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. Well, that's quite a response, isn't it? And I'm sure many of us may have reacted in a similar way at times. Naaman is prideful and wounded. Wounds measure the distance between expectation and reality. Wounds measure the distance between expectation and reality. His anger was a defensive shield. It was an idol, a coping mechanism. Naaman's pride and his faith in his anger nearly caused him to miss out on God's wonderful blessing. Naaman's expectations were wrong. His self-centered faith rested in the actions of Elisha. They rested in money. They rested in power. And because his expectations weren't met, he was wounded and defaulted to fury. Verse 13 says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to go and do some great thing, would you have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? 
simple. These servants seem very wise to me and also very brave and probably knew their master well. Verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. He wanted to give a gift and say thank you. I know there is no other God in all the world. That is a huge statement, especially considering that most people of that time were polytheistic. They believed there were lots of gods. I know there is no other God in all the world. And there's no mention of leprosy. Naaman wasn't looking for God. He was looking for a cure for his leprosy. But God used his search for the cure to lead him to something better than the cure for leprosy. The point of this story is not to present a formula for healing. The point of this story shows how sinners find God, or better yet, how God finds sinners, how he can cleanse us from our sins how he loves us that much that he wants relationship with us. What if God, in your pain, has something for you beyond, better than a cure for your ailment? All of us, even the most together of us, have a few problems that we'd rather just keep covered up. On the outside, everyone thinks we're doing okay, we have it all together. But then there are areas of brokenness. A secret habit we can't break, a problem you can't resolve, something in your past you can't shake. Maybe it's a deep unhappiness that's actually invisible to other people. Maybe it's a secret paralyzing fear or maybe you've come up against obstacles that you feel powerless to overcome. A death of a loved one, an illness, or COVID. What if God's purpose in that problem is to get your attention? What if God's purpose in that problem is to draw you close to him? What if God is his own greatest reward. What if God is his own greatest reward? Let's move on with the story. Verse 16. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. What a beautiful illustration of the gospel. It is a free gift of grace. The false religion of man says, God, I'll do certain things for you and then you'll owe me. 
or God, you do this for me and then I'll do something for you. The gospel from God recognises salvation is a gift. And then it says in response, God, I owe you everything. God, I owe you everything. Moving on to verse 17. If you will not, Naaman said, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. Now, people in that time had a very geographical understanding of God or all the gods. Um, so Naaman, being a thinking man, and he's thinking, oh, I've got to go home, but he still wanted to honour God, so he asks for dirt. Um, it's thought that he would spread the dirt um, under his feet and where he's going to sacrifice, and that would be his way of, of actually sacrificing to the God of Israel. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon to bow down and he's leaning on my arm and I have to bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. So he then comes up with another dilemma. Naaman is asking for forgiveness before he's even done what he's proposing. Elisha knew, and Jesus revealed later to the woman of the world, well, God is spirit and his worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You might expect Elisha's response to Naaman to be quite different to what it is, but here it is. Go in peace, Elisha said in verse 19. Go in peace. Elisha was trusting God. The important questions have been answered. Have you met God? Do you love God? Go in peace. This is the time to build a bridge, not a moat. Here's the point. Naaman's obedience isn't perfect, but it's a start. And God receives it. Sometimes we Christians forget this. You know, we want to give advice and correct and teach and train and, 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 and help new believers. And we want it to happen straight away. But we have to remember it takes time. You know, we all start out as babies. We, we crawl and we cry and we break things and we go the wrong way. And that's okay. God is a compassionate father. If you're serious about repentance, he's serious about having you. So what can we learn from the characters of this story? Firstly, pride leads to unbelief. Pride is when we put our trust in ourselves and our own ability rather than in God. Even those who don't flaunt their talents, like I do, <laughs> or big note themselves can have pride in their hearts. Pride can cause us to resist help or, resist or stop taking action for fear of failure, for fear of looking silly, for fear of the unknown. The old expression, better the devil you know, can hold us back. 
Have you ever missed out on God's blessing because of pride? Secondly, put your trust in God, not idols. Now, I'm not talking about little carved out idols. An idol is something that we run to instead of running to God when under pressure. Idols, or coping mechanisms, we can call them, are developed as we learn to cope with hurts. We go to idols because of unbelief and because we have a distorted image of ourselves. We see something different to what God does. But we have a choice. Just as Naaman put aside his pride and his anger, we can do the same. Thirdly, your past doesn't define who you are. God does. Your past doesn't define who you are. God does. We all have past experiences, past hurts, past sin. Each time somebody speaks to us or looks at us, what we hear or um, what they what we hear or what they say or don't say through that filter is is mixed up, generally without even realizing. So all those messages are just going through that filter. This can cause us to act in fear, like King Yoram, anger, like Naaman, or in hurt or bitterness. It can cause us to feel insecure, rejected, and uncertain. But once again, we have a choice. We can turn our focus to Christ. We can seek him rather than our idols or coping mechanisms. In stark contrast, contrast to the king, the servant girl's wounds of slavery revealed her faith in God. In her faith, sorry, if her faith was in the law, she would have condemned Naaman's pagan customs and religious practices. Instead, she loved her master and introduced him to the power of God. There's a great abiding life quote, says, we do not overcome sin by dwelling on sin, but by dwelling on God. Salvation is not the absence of sin, it is the presence of God. I love it. We do not overcome sin by dwelling on sin, but by dwelling on God. Salvation is not the absence of sin, it is the presence of God. Fourthly, humility leads to faith. Humility is giving God the glory rather than keeping it ourselves. Well, that's what I believe anyway. Naaman, when he put aside his pride, when he let go of his trust in worldly ideas and possessions, was blessed. When he surrendered, he received more than he expected. He found love and relationship with the living God. The servant girl shows us a wonderful picture of faith. Her humility led her to faith. From that faith flowed forgiveness, love and compassion. Mm. Sounds like a familiar person to me. Is it the name of Jesus being whispered? Jesus, the suffering servant, who put aside his own self and died for you and me, who God raised to life again so that we might experience 
and extend forgiveness, love, mercy and grace. And finally, trust in God. Simple, trust in God. Elisha graciously permitted the Gentile convert to worship God the best way he knew how. Instead of demanding name and follow Israelite law, Elisha told him to go in peace, trusting God with the details. Is that another whisper of the name of Jesus I hear? If you've heard a whisper of God's voice today, if you're seeking or if you're struggling, don't miss an opportunity to have someone pray for you. You can click on the prayer button and somebody will be there to just walk with you, to pray with you, to listen. Don't leave wondering what more God has for you. Each of us has a part to play in God's amazing plan. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you reveal yourself in so many ways through this story of Naaman. Lord, that we see that beautiful gift of salvation. We see that beautiful gift of love that you give us. Lord, we see you acting with love and compassion and generosity so that we in turn, might be able to act in that way as well. Lord, I, I pray that you'll speak to each one of us by the whisper of your voice. Lord, that we, will, that we will listen, that we will put aside our pride, we will put aside our other coping mechanisms, and Lord, that we will follow you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Bless you.